We're continuing with the doctor's uh, gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of certainty, and uh, this uh, is a wonderful uh, uh, series that we've been in. It's kind of a mini-series uh, dealing with uh, the, uh, the need of prayer. I mean, uh, it, it, we said that last time, that of all the things the disciples could have asked the Lord Jesus, I mean, how did you heal that leper? Show me. It's, I mean, are there smoke and mirrors? How did this happen? Did you, are there voodoo words? Are there key words? You know, all these kind of goofy things people think. Uh, it wasn't that. He's the power of God. He spoke the word and he was healed. Um, they, they, he could have said, teach us how to do these things, you know? Or teach us how to preach. Boy, you captivate the thousands. How do you do that? Give me a homiletics class. No, they didn't do that. It was teach us, Lord, teach me us how to pray. They looked at his life. They saw the prayer life of the Son of God, the Creator, and then they looked at theirs and they're like, I'm like, mine is like way back preschool, not even in kindergarten here, and there's such a huge difference. Oh, Lord, teach us that we might uh, have a prayer life like you have. And that's the whole context here of chapter 11. I've entitled the message, Shameless Boldness in Prayer. Now, when I was a, when I was a boy, I don't know if you're like uh, me, when, at a certain age, I, I think the age probably was uh, uh, before seventh grade, probably fourth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. My memory is faulty. It used to work better. But uh, I used to enjoy uh, going down to the hobby store and, uh, and to find different models and uh, take them home and put them together. Started with some pretty basic one, you know, uh, with cars and airplanes and even battleships, aircraft carrier, and uh, and put them in. It started with the basic ones, you know, the, you know, like four pieces and clicks together. And then you work your way up to getting some of the real difficult ones where they're like hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And uh, I rather enjoy doing that. And uh, my father enjoyed helping me at times to do that. Uh, he was... Uh, you know, there's only one way to do it, and it was the right way to do it. And, uh, you know, you got toothpicks and cement in the tubes, and you laid your newspaper out, and, <laughs> yeah, and you didn't go crazy with the glue, because once the glue was on the models, it's on the models, you lightly touch it. And one time I remember my favorite model that I bought at the hobbies was the, uh, an XKE Jaguar. Anybody know what that is, XKE Jaguar? Yeah, I knew you would. It was beautiful. It was red. It had all the chrome parts to it. And it was like a night, it was like way ahead of where I was at that point. And I was a little stumped on it uh, as to how to do it. And uh, I almost started making a mess on it. You know, they could get frustrating a little bit. And so my father said, Don't worry, I'll help you with it. Go and he like, uh, Isn't it your bedtime now? Go to bed. And uh, so I came down in the morning. He had it half put together. I was really upset. It's like a boyhood revisited, you know, like, he said, I'll just keep doing it here, and, I'll, <laughs> and of course, it was immaculate. There was not one drop or speck of that cement anywhere on the car at all, and, uh, and, and it, but he had such fun with it, he thought he was helping me, but I wanted to do it, you know. I'll never forget that. Sat on my shelf a long time, finally got it together. I didn't quite do it as perfectly as he did in finishing it, but uh, I really, really love putting those models together. Uh, now, you know, a model, uh, it was only a model. It wasn't the real thing. I wish it was a real thing. I mean, it was beautiful. 
Uh, it, it, well, it was a model. You know, and a model, you know, by definition, is a cheap imitation of the real thing. Right? It's a cheap imitation uh, of a real thing. Next time someone says, you are a tremendous model of, don't get puffed up. Remember the definition of the word model, a cheap imitation of the real thing. <laughs> That's not how we usually mean it, though, is it? Uh, last time we saw uh, the Lord Jesus in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 to 4, present for us what I said uh, was a model prayer. Now, that was not a cheap imitation of the real thing. Uh, it was the real thing. It was. Uh, there are a lot of churches, we said in liturgy, that memorize it and they include it in their worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And they incorporate it that way. They think there's something to word by word by word in the old English that it ought to by be, in a verbatim sense, repeated. Now, it's given collectively because notice the plural pronouns in the model prayer, which is not a cheap imitation. It's the real thing. But what he's simply saying is, look, when you pray, he said, include these five major structures. Begin by making sure that God's name is hallowed or revered, that God receives the respect that is due him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's saying address it to the Father. And then second, that the authority of God's kingdom would reign. I mean, God is in charge. He is in control, but it's hard to notice that when you look at the front page of the paper, right? The authority of God uh, that completely and utterly fulfilled, it, it's not happening. It will happen when the kingdom comes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Someday that will happen. There will be no sin on earth. It'll be glorified. The curse will be reversed. You're going to look better and smell better and talk better and be better than you ever imagined. So will I. You'll say, Pastor, I don't recognize you, and I'll return the favor. And what a wonderful day. And then the third is our petition. Give us today our daily bread. There's our physical needs and necessities. Include that, Jesus said, in the model prayer. And then what? Now, forgive us of our sins. We must daily bathe our hearts and, Lord, wash me and cleanse me and scrub me. And then I release as I have been forgiven. And I forgive those who sin against me. It happens. Have you been sinned against? You bet. We all have. And so we release people freely. Why? Because we have been forgiven. The forgiven forgive. And finally, we, it's a prayer for protection. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, my heart is so desperately uh, evil. I'm born with this, even though you've saved me and are sanctified, that it's like a magnet. I can be drawn to the same uh, uh, a sinful activity that I once was or be captive. Lead me, direct me, protect me. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And we said that that came from the Old Testament. Well, that's the model prayer. That's, a, that's the real deal, and it's wonderful. And so that's what the pattern of our prayer should be uh, largely. It can be more than that, but it ought to be at least that. Now, there's a lingering thought that remains. All right, that's the model. That is the essence of the content of how you and I ought to pray, and we ought to pray as a church. But the lingering thought remains, but how should we approach God in prayer? How should we approach Him? I mean, He's holy, He's great, He's sovereign, He's busy. 
We know we read in the scriptures that our Father, Jesus said, my Father works even to this day. He's busy, so how do we approach him? I mean, the whole Old Testament is, God's holy, you're not, stay away. Now remember, these are coming out of that Jewish nation. He's just taught them the model of prayer. Now how do we approach them? Do we come in quickly, just uh, throw hints and shadows? Do we barely say it and get out? I mean, is there a timidity? Is there a fearfulness? I'm a sinner, I'm under the blood, but how should I do that? The thought of how do I approach this heavenly Father in this model prayer that he's given uh, still lingers in their hearts and minds. And so the Lord is going to address how you and I, how we ought to approach our heavenly Father. And we live in a casual day where, where everything is sort of dressed down and just sort of, hey, you. It wasn't always that way. The culture had more structure, and there were authority. We live in an anti-authority day, uh, probably ever since Genesis 3, but particularly in America since the 60s, right? You know, anti-disestablishmentarianism. I remember learning to spell that word in kindergarten. They said, that's the longest word in the English language. Oh, yeah, what is it? Let me see it. I've got to be able to write that. I impress my mother. I'm getting an education. <laughs> That's our day. And how do we approach God? You know, you think, like, I'm going to go down. I think our president needs me to share my mind. I better go down to Pennsylvania Avenue, and uh, I, he needs to talk to me. I've got to see him. You think you can just walk in there? <laughs> now, somebody did recently. Did you see that? They had a big party, and they showed up, and they got there, and they got their picture taken. Remember that? That's almost scary, really, you think about that. Is that the ultimate party crasher? 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? <laughs> I still am a little baffled how they did that, because it ruined my illustration on this point all these years. You can't approach. They won't let you in. They're nice, very nice-looking men in very nice suits that want to talk to you. And they'll, they have little rooms that they'll take you before you even get near anything. You can't. And so the thought, someone in position of authority, someone in position, how about the ultimate authority of all? God himself, holy, distinct, great in every dimension of the word. And here we come just kind of strolling in the American casual way. I don't think so. I mean, we would think that. How do we do that? The whole Old Testament, the holy of holy. Don't go in. You go in, you die. Someone put false fire on the altar. You died. Hophni and Phinehas, remember that? It was God is at distance. So how do I approach him? And the Lord is going to deal with that subject. Maybe that's something you've been thinking about in your own life. You know, should we be timid? Should we hardly bother him? You know, he's busy. And Jesus answers this for us in our text this morning. And we're going to discover in a little time here two exhortations by Jesus urging us. Here it is, to boldly persist. Boldly persist in bringing our prayers to God. For our Father in heaven welcomes us. That's a good word. He welcomes us. He's able to entertain all of our prayers all at the same time and not confuse them. Like my mother at Christmas time with seven kids and Christmas presents, and sometimes she confused them at under the tree, you know. We did the one present at a time. Seven kids and dad and mom, right? No, and the order, right? And sometimes I opened a gift that had some lacy pretty things in it. 
And my mother in her horror came across the room. No, that's mislabeled. That's your sister's. <laughs> Which I was relieved because I didn't want panties and all that stuff anyway. That was not on my list. God is able to keep it all straight at all the time, and He answers prayer that way. He doesn't like give me like, well, well, what's this, Lord? And I discovered, wait, oh, wait a minute, that was Galen. Galen was praying for that. I'm going to give it to Terry. And the, the Lord never is like us like that. He keeps it all straight. It's amazing. He's omniscient. Well, how do we approach them? With the, the Lord is going to teach us here is. We are to come boldly, often, and with great confidence because of Christ. Let's, let's read the, the, the passage, uh, Luke 11, verse 5 and following. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, uh, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, here's what he's going to say, get out of here, don't bother me, the door's shut, my kids are in bed with me. I'll explain that. I cannot get up and give you anything. Beat it, in essence, right? Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence, that's his persistence, that's shameless persistence, he will rise and give him what he needs. And now Jesus is going to say, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, how about that, speaking of our depravity, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, there's the comparison, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There are in these few verses two exhortations by Jesus urging us to be boldly persist in bringing our prayers to the Lord. Boldly persist, shamelessly persist, and keep it up, and keep it up, and keep it up. Even though you're puny, sinful, frail, lost in and of yourself, and if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, you are family. God says, come, come, and keep coming. Don't stop. Don't be timid. Come boldly. Boldly, because of your position in Christ. He's talking to Christians. Now, in another church in yesteryear, and for a lot of years, um, um, we had a school at the, at the church. And it was, it was always uh, kind of a lot of action and activity going on on the campus. And uh, not only that, in the uh, administrative suite, there were a number of of pastors and workers, and had a total at the peak of 83 people working there in the ministry. And my, my children, at that point, my boys, would often want to see me during the, during the day for this or that or something, or after school, before sports or whatever. And uh, everyone knew that they had permission uh, at any time, because I did never want to sacrifice the ministry of God's Word, uh, my kids, for that. 
you know, there are a lot of pastors that are heartbroken. Uh, and they sort of confuse that. And I was always real clear on that, that God has called me to be a husband and a father first. And, uh, and, and, and that was never in question, my thinking. And so I would tell David and I would tell Jonathan, they knew it, and they, they loved it, actually, that at any time, it didn't matter what was going on in my suite or in my office, they could come in and see their father. They didn't have to wait out in the waiting room, you know, take a number, something like that. No, no, they could always do that. And uh, I got the idea, it wasn't my idea, but when I, a long time ago I read that uh, that's how John F. Kennedy did that with uh, his two children in the White House. And when I read that years ago, years ago, I said, what a great idea. I love that idea. And so I said it to my kids, and Sarah was younger at first, and, and they all love that idea too, you know. And, and so I, in my memory, I go back, and sometimes I might be in counseling. I only ask them when you come through and you go by the offices and by my administrative assistant that you knock on the door. You don't know what's going to be on the other side. I might be in counseling. You know how it is. Things are emotionally heartbreaking. Sometimes there are a lot of tears and so on. Just knock. Just don't barge. Just, just don't come running un in unannounced. And, uh, okay, no problem, Dad, no problem, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I remember, <laughs> I remember not so much David, but I remember Jonathan. Uh, he would always come to the door and not a knock. Now, there are different kinds of knocks, right? Have you ever noticed that? There, some are like a timid knock, like, da, 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 are you busy in there? Kind of a knock, knock. Jonathan never knocked like that. His was sort of like an announcement. Like, he, I'm here. <laughs> so like, <laughs> the door would instantly open, and he'd come walking in. And, uh, and he was sensitive a couple of times to realize, uh, probably I should come back to that. But uh, that didn't happen too much. He would come in and ask me what he needed to do, and then he went out the side door. Uh, and that, that worked great. Now, what was, what was okay and right for him to do that for most anyone else, and you can imagine the situation, would have been in, it would have been uh, uh, audacity, really. Who are you to think that you could do that? Well, it was only because of his privileged position of being my son. And your sons and daughters are of the privilege of being your sons and daughters, Right? And uh, that's the only way. And I say all that to say, that's what the Lord is saying here. Look at you can come because of your standing in Jesus through adoption as sons and daughters. God says, don't even knock, just come. Just come because of your standing in Christ. You are always welcome. You don't have to come in timidly. Isn't that great? And keep doing that and keep doing it. And I hear that and I know what's best. Oh, I love that so much. I believe it and I practice that uh, with all my... Well, let's look at the first exhortation, number one, in verses 5 to 8. Jesus calls us to come boldly in prayer, not timidly dropping God hints. You know, a lot of wives are good at that. You know, a lot of gals are. You know, they, they, wanna, they, want, they love their husband. They want them to be more aggressive, take the lead, right? And, and rather than say, uh, take the garbage out. Or, honey, uh, they'll ask questions like, do you think you'd like to take the garbage out? Well, I've been waiting all day for that, you know. <laughs> right? They'll throw hints and shadows. It's sort of like, 
uh, would you like to make the bed this morning? No, I've never, never wanted to make the bed this morning. Oh, are you asking me to do Oh, I'm glad to do it. You know, but your prayer life should not be like that. You don't have to throw hints to God. Just come boldly, confidently. You're welcomed as an adopted son and lay it upon the Lord what's on your heart. Boldly, directly, not shadow boxing, not hints. Lord, I need help. I need help with this thing. My family, my grandchildren, my work, my school. I'm in trouble. And, and we come that way, and that's the way. And we're doing it based on what the Lord is teaching us here. And not hints, but boldly, boldly, boldly and shamelessly presenting our requests. Verses 5 to 7, he tells a parable, and the Lord is a great storyteller uh, of a man who made a re very reasonable request at an unreasonable hour. It's a good lesson from a bad example. I don't know if, how you are if someone woke you up at, at midnight and that's it. You know, they went to bed very early in that day, in the agrarian culture days, uh, pre-Edison and lights and all that. The people's daily life more followed the sunrise than the sunset. So if it's midnight, they've been in bed for hours already. And I, usually I don't jump up. Usually it's say, they say it takes 20 minutes for you to wake up. Think about some of you running out the door with a cup of coffee in the morning. You've been up about five, six, eight, ten minutes, slipped into your pants, shoes, and out the door. I'll put the tie on. I've seen ladies put their makeup on driving around. That's a scary thought. Saying they're doing, you know, at the red lights, and they're on their way to get, okay. It takes 20 minutes before your brain is functioning. This, in this story, the Lord tells us about a man who uh, is sleeping, his family is sleeping, the house is closed up, they went to bed maybe 8 o'clock, now it's four hours, they're going to get up very early with the sunrise, and, uh, and he's going to tell a good lesson from a bad example. Uh, this man had a late night visit from a traveling friend, remember, they didn't have airplanes, there weren't buses or trains, they didn't even have XKE Jaguars. Uh, they walked. And they oftentimes in that day did not walk during the heat of the day, right? The common sense. So you wait to after the heat of the day, late afternoon, evening, before it got very late, and you would make your journey. Did not have a Sheetz's. You could swing in and I'll get a uh, chicken salad, a hoagie, and a hot dog, and well, those donuts and cookies are pretty good. They didn't have any of that stuff. And so they're walking. It's dusty. Uh, it's hot. And, uh, and uh, usually, when they arrived, were there, and they didn't have hotels, they didn't have even turkey uh, hills, they get some of that good diet iced tea, that green iced tea, I love that stuff. Uh, they didn't even have that. And so, hosting was an art in that day. It was a sacred duty. Someone traveling late, coming, uh, you welcome them, you wash their feet, you, you fed them a meal, they're exhausted, they're tired. And uh, it was extremely important in that day. We don't sense hardly any of that today, uh, but, but we perhaps should more than. But we have so many conveniences in our day. It's a whole different story. Well, he came. He, he visits his friend, is, and he has no bread to feed him. Now, bread is important, staff of life. But bread in that day was even more the flat bread kind of bread. It was used for dipping and sopping. 
You like to sop your gravy up and things like that. That's the idea. It was really the knife, the fork, and the spoon of the ancient world. They would, they would put, put their food onto their bread, roll it up, and eat it like that. So if you, if you didn't have bread, it was like you didn't have flatware. You didn't have bread, the basic essential to feed them. You were in deep trouble. Wait, wait on subpoint number two. We'll pick that up in a couple the culture of that day, hospitality is extremely important. It required the host to provide for the guest and, and, and so on. Uh, this man, number four, had a decision to make. Right? He had a decision. Would he be a bad host or would he risk his friendship with the neighbor by waking him up to get needed bread? Number two, to make matters worse, the whole family was closed up for the night. Now, in that day, the homes were like one room. They were very small. If it was a common Palestinian-type home, there were two sections. One section was a little bit elevated, one room, right? If it was very poor, they brought the animals in at night for heat. Imagine that, goats and chickens and that kind of thing. Uh, and so the second half of the house had an elevated floor, and they had mats on the floor, and they would tuck in all the family on one matted area, straw, blanket, and they would use body heat uh, besides perhaps a little fire there, a, a chimney of sorts. And uh, that's what it meant that they were all tucked. Don't think our houses, all the separate bedrooms, it wouldn't matter. But if you got the babies and everyone's all tucked in, it's dark, it's been hours, Maybe there's a little one on a raised floor platform, and they're all sleeping right there. So if he gets up and he disturbs all of them, and probably a baby, have you ever heard a baby cry during the night? Wow. Yeah. Go away. Go away. I'm going to wake them all up. So it's very different than our homes and settings. And so he's reluctant to answer this neighbor in need who needs bread to be a host. But he stands there, according to the Lord's parable, and he pounds and he pounds and he knocks and he knocks on the door. Uh, the, uh, this uh, man, uh, the neighbor with, who's sleeping, um, uh, hears the audacity of his neighbor who keeps pounding to get what is needed. Now, in verse 7, he told him no four different ways. Look at that. So you see that. In the words of the Lord Jesus, look at the four ways. And, 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 and he, he answers him. Let me find. And he, he will answer him, do not bother me. There's number one. Get out of here. Number two, the door is now shut. That's an excuse. It could be open. My children are in bed with me. I've already explained that. And four, I cannot get up and give you anything. No, get out of here. But he keeps pounding, doesn't he? Keeps knocking. I need your help. Even though the man says, no, 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 in this parable Jesus tells. Well, B, Jesus' point then is, is that this man got what he needed from his neighbor who had been sleeping, not because he loved him and he felt the warm and the fuzzies, but because the, the man was persistent and he was shamelessly knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And he thought to himself, I better get up and give him this bread uh, because he's driving me out of my mind. He's going to wake everyone up. And he won't go away until he gets what he wants. 
That's the point. It's a, it's a good lesson from a bad example, and, uh, and yet he does give him his bread. He had a shameless boldness in asking for his need. But here's the point. This is, this is Jesus' whole point here. You say, how should we approach holy God with the model that he's given? We ought to approach God with the same persistency. He's going to tell us more about that in a moment. The same way we must do this. For if even the surliest of neighbors can be persuaded to help in the middle of of the night, how much more, there it is, it's a comparison by contrast, how much more will our Heavenly Father hear us when we pray? This guy didn't care at all about his neighbor at that moment. We have a compassionate, loving, heavenly Father who invites us to come, welcomes us to come, tells us to come boldly, according to Jesus, and to lay our requests, the things that you and I need, and to lay that at his feet. We must do that. Jesus calls us to come boldly in prayer. Now, it's, it's an amazing thing, uh, some, this whole thing of being a pastor-teacher. Because uh, not only as, a, as an under-shepherd of the Lord, when God uh, calls a man and often his wife with him to shepherd you, he gives him a shepherd's heart. I know what it is to have it, and I know what it is when I was simply professor and I had students, though on a different plane. Because I was always sort of pastoral, even in my classroom. But you bear the burdens of people. You, you pray and you pray for heartaches and loss, disappointments, for jobs that need to come, for trouble with families, for difficulties in churches and in church life, for government in our country, but particularly for the sheep, the people. And it's an amazing process to do that. And sometimes week in and week out as I study to preach, you're, you're, you, you are so heavily on my heart. And I'm thinking of the text, trying to understand it, thinking what is the message for me? What is the message for our people? How, what does God have for us to grow in grace and to serve Him? And uh, it's amazing the experiences that happen to me in the course of a week uh, that uh, enter into that whole mix. There's nothing quite like it. And as we moved into this uh, about two weeks ago, as I began to really study this on the model prayer and, and now the shameless boldness in prayer, uh, there are always uh, a whole myriad of, of prayer concerns and burdens. And, and if you could follow me around, uh, uh, you, would, uh, you would be uh, amazed at how, how often that I, uh, I'm in prayer. Uh, and I never, I'll say this, I never used to say anything about my prayer life because it was so sacred to me and and uh, so dear, and so private. So private, that's the word. Uh, and faith is the one that said, you can't do that anymore. After years and years, she said, you, you've got to just let people know as, as a teaching thing, the place of prayer, let them see it in your life. I didn't embrace Faithy's idea uh, for a long time just because it's so personal and, and so private to me, and yet it really protracts a large portion of my thoughts and of my day. But I saw the value of it in just turning my heart inside out and just to show you with trans- utter transparency. And in the last, I say all that to say, in the last 10 days, uh, 
there have been uh, numerous reasons for joy and celebration, heartaches, but there have been in our own family, there have been three heavy requests. I mean, heavy. Two within my own family and, and, and things I couldn't even tell you. I can't. You know, there, there are things like that, right? And I thought, like, Lord, of all times, I have these enormous faith in the eye, I have these enormous burdens on our heart, and here, in the course of your prescription of, of life and time and schedule, I'm studying you know, all week long, prayer. And then you've got me burdened in practicing it in my own life. And all that to say that in two are, were very personal, uh, and, and one was, the, the other one was the mortgage. That Faithy and I, and for many, many times, on my knees, begging God, and unashamedly I say that, that God would, if he would be pleased to give us approval on the mortgage, because it looked pretty dicey when PNC turned us down. And, uh, and we, nobody knows us. It's a church plan, right? And I just said, Lord, if you don't want it, I don't want it. But Lord, I, let it not be because of me. And then I'm reading this, right? And we're going to see here in a moment the intensity that we're to beg God and ask. And God is changing me in the whole process. And all of us, as, as you prayed, and I asked you to pray. And then two of the uh, others within our, my own family, you know, I mean, almost, I mean, I don't want to go too far and say anything, but within my, my family, extended family, were so burdensome I could hardly sleep at night. And just crying out to God, the Lord, based upon this text, based upon your word, Show, your, show us your bicep, your strong arm, and provide as only you can do. And I, I, I'm here to say that God worked in the mortgage. Praise God. I was like doing a tap dance. Like, and then in my family, uh, one situation stabilized. It could, have been, it could have been a terrible, terrible circumstance. And we didn't know it was going downhill, downhill, downhill. A lot of tears. I said, Lord, I just, I just tell you here, Lord, I, you've said this, I'm going to claim this. I remember the boys' lunch. I want to keep my eyes fixed on you. If you don't help, it's over. I want you alone to be glorified. And in the, the third circumstance, uh, the Lord is, is still working through that. It's extremely serious, and uh, you know, some things are so private, you can't say. You know, you, you know what I mean by that, and you know that we all have that. And uh, so I go, of all times, it, notice that didn't happen two months ago when we were studying something else. No, we got to put the Z-man through the ringer here. I know what's coming. He has no idea. He's going to preach on prayer. I got some things to teach him during the week. He doesn't even know coming. And Faith and I felt so exhausted when a couple of those, and the Lord answered marvelously. I was, we were exhausted physically. We were exhausted emotionally and spiritually. I, uh, I was exhausted. And, and those, you know, the non-physical are more exhausting. Are they not than the physical? You go to bed and sleep seven, eight hours, and feel, ah, I'm feeling better now. But some, if it's emotionally, if it's spiritually, mm, it just is tough. And I say that all to you, that God is so good. 
So good. And I simply did the second part, and we're gonna, we'll be done here. Look at this second exhortation. Jesus calls us to trust our gracious Heavenly Father, verses 9 to 13. Look what he writes. I'll read it again. Uh, I tell you, he says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open. Now, in case you missed that, he's going to say it a second time. Thank you, Lord. Because sometimes I'm slow class and I don't catch it. But he says it again in verse 10. For everyone who asks, the one who asks uh, finds, he receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it's open. Now it's real. And notice a couple of things here. Notice the intensity increases. Ask, seek, knock. You know, you can ask, uh, Mommy, can I have that cookie? No. Okay. And then I'm going to... I'm going to seek it. I've got the stool over there. A little more effort, a little more energy. I'm up to the counter. I'm seeking that peanut butter cookie, right? Can I have the cookie? No. You're going to ruin your dinner, right? And now I'm up there banging on the cookie jar, right, knocking. Can I have that? And maybe, just maybe, my mother in that case would, okay, maybe a half. Don't tell your father. <laughs> right? There's intensity. It increases. Asking, seeking. Now, it's a real easy way to remember it, too. It's like, Lord, thanks for helping us in English. Because there's an acronym. This is the word ask, right? A for ask. S, next level, seek, A-S, and then K, knock. That's what the Word says. And that's what we're to do. So I don't know the prayer burdens that are on your hearts. I know that we all have them. And sometimes, you know, uh, uh, they're not as prominent or pressing, but sometimes they're like overwhelming. You go like, I don't know if I can go on another step. You know, I, we've had that. That's called life in a fallen world. It makes us me anxious for heaven for sure. Grows me weary. Sometimes I, I think, wouldn't it be great if the race were over? You know, you, have you had those times? I have. And look at the Lord says, look, this is how you approach. You come and you keep coming and you come with passion and intensity for the effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman. They're effective. And God promises, number two, ask, seek, knock. If we do this, God hears us and he promises to provide our every need. B, Jesus tells us the reason that God's gracious provision for us is that God himself is compassionate. He's, he's a loving, heavenly father. He's a father to us. Good gifts from bad fathers. That's the example the Lord gives. God teaches us that his father is generous and caring and provides what? He, he is willingness to do that by using, a, again, a contrasting comparison. It would be unthinkable for a father to give his son uh, instead of a fish, Dad, I need a fish. I want one of those fish sandwiches from McDonald's. And he gives him a scorpion. What kind of a father would that be, right? And there may be some, some fathers that are more fiend, more of a fiend than a father, but most dads would never do that. They, would, they know what their, their children need, and they, they, they know at that moment uh, whether, whether it would indulge them or if it's a real need, and they, a good dad would do whatever he could to help his son or daughter if there were a real need. I know that. I, I live in that world. 
Or if uh, Jesus said, if a, a son asked for uh, 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 something more, if he, he asked for a uh, or he asked for a fish and he got a snake, and the second one I confused the two. He asked for an egg and the father gave him a scorpion. That'd be absolutely unthinkable. That would be utterly cruel. Uh, it, it would just be beyond reason. And, and Jesus expects that to be a shocking comparison because what he is saying is uh, if, uh, if our fathers who are sinful, and we're all sinful, we're born in sin, we have a depraved nature, if even such men and women, but men in that illustration, still know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more would God give us because he's gracious and good and not evil whatsoever. Give us what we need. That's what he's saying. And in verse 13b, surprisingly, Jesus tells that the Father will give us the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some, when they read this, they're surprised. See that 13b? How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And some are saying, well, wait, that sounds like a trick ending. I thought we were talking about physical things. I thought, I have a school bill. I need to pay Lord, and you promised me money. Uh, how about food and cool? I thought we were talking these kind of things. What's this with the Holy Spirit? It sounds like a smoke and mirror. Did something happen here? Why, why the Holy Spirit? And some feel like, uh, no, wait a minute, I got ripped off here. Or there's a bit of disappointment. And if you think that way, you miss the whole thing. What Jesus means by that is if you pray and ask, God will give you himself. He's going to give you the greatest of all possible gifts. The presence of God in your life. And he argues then from the greater to the lesser. And if God will give you that which is the greatest, then certainly he'll give you the smallest of needs that you have. That's what he's saying. And if you still minimize the, the Holy Spirit in your life, I remind you that the Spirit of God, when God gives us the Spirit, he gives us himself. And it really means uh, that uh, uh, noticing what he would do for us. Remember, the Holy Spirit revealed truth through the Bible. He's the one who originally controlled the writing of the Bible and pr preservation of it. He reveals truth. He convicts of sin. He grants repentance. He persuades of the truth of the gospel. We will receive salvation, justification, home in heaven, the fellowship of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And not only, not only that, if you should die... Uh, when you are going to be raised from your grave, and all of us will die if Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, it is the Holy Spirit who will raise your body from dust and make it glorious like the Lord Jesus. So what he's saying is, God will give you, when you ask, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest thing that you could possibly ever need. And if he'll give you that, the Holy, he'll give you certainly everything else. That's a far smaller uh, insignificance than that. You can check out Romans 8.32. Write that down. God who gave us uh, Christ Jesus, the greatest of all things in the sacrifice. Surely he will give us all the things that we need. Well, the instruction he gives here quickly now and we'll be done. Number one, look, it does not mean this. It's a parable. Don't push it too far. It doesn't mean that God is annoyed, the Father's annoyed when we come to Him at midnight. Don't bother me now. God never says that. So don't push that parable too far. All right? It's a comparison, 
by way of contrast, and, uh, and so you should note that and keep that straight. Or don't confuse the thinking that God has to be cajoled into giving what we need. We've got to just keep badgering him and badgering him and badgering because he really doesn't want to give it. That's the wrong idea. God wants us to continually to come to him. And sometimes we think, I have an urgent need, and we pray for it for an hour, and then we never think of it again. And we go like, if I couldn't even persist in prayer for that long, how much of a need was it really? And, 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 and how, much of it, uh, uh, how much do I, re- do I really need it? It's already out of my mind. And in the process of waiting and waiting, God is changing us. It is true. Prayer changes us. But then God reaches down and brings about dramatic changes at points too. And so don't be careful about that. Nor does it mean that we should never take no for an answer. Sometimes we do. I mean, as we pray and pray and pray and pray in dead earnestness, and God just does not open the door. He hears it. I think the right way to view that is he reluctantly holds that door shut. Because we're coming only asking him to do what he's already promised. That's what it is. We're not cajoling him and begging him to do something he doesn't want to do. He's already promised it. Look at the model of the Lord's Prayer. And now we're saying, based upon that, Lord, do what you promised. That's what praying is all about. We come and we lay our burdens before him. Now, some of you should start a prayer journal or a prayer book. And that way, put a little prayer book in where you put the date on it, write a measurable, I can't emphasize, a measurable prayer request. Bring your request to me, he says. Write it down. The Salvation of Loved One. If you look at my prayer book, it has a lot of names in it. And a lot of them for years. The one that was the longest was my father. I prayed for him for a long, long time. Didn't know if God would save him. God is still just, holy. He has a purpose and a plan. He, he could tell me, but I wouldn't understand it. You know how that works. But he invites me to come, and he burdened my heart. And I've prayed for folks for years and years and years. I've prayed for finances. I've prayed for work. I've prayed for medical issues. I've prayed for church issues and people's lives Loved ones and missionary needs and all kinds of specific. You got to make it measurable or you never know if God answers it. You can't pray for all the missionaries of all the world. How do you know when God answers it? But I can pray for this missionary project, the Kempton Hospital, that that would be designed and built and that God would provide the funds for that, that needed country and the outreach there in Africa. You see, I can pray for that. And that it would be done at this timetable. You see, God delights in that. And, uh, and that's a great way to help you to ask and to seek and to keep on knocking. Incidentally, I didn't have time to say, those are present imperatives. Those are commands. They're present tense. Somebody say, don't tell me that. I flunked English. You know? <laughs> present tense means you ask and then you never stop. It's continual. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking as we bring our requests boldly, shamelessly, begging the Lord to work in a way that only He can do it. I'll tell you, He delights in that. He does. I can't tell you. If I showed you, you'd be amazed. If I showed you my prayer book and all that God has done through the years, that's more precious to me next to my Bible. You'd have to kill me to say God doesn't answer prayer. Sometimes he says no. Remember in the garden? Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. 
Not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, Jesus said, but your will be done. And God sometimes says no for now, or maybe it's no, it's not the right time. Keep coming. Keep asking. Keep asking. That's what he invites us to do. Well, lessons for our life, and then we'll be done. Number one, this week, let's do something a little bit different. We're going to make an emphasis on this. We want to really emphasize not only understanding the truths, my sheet's a little prettier than yours, knowing the, the truths that we're teaching, but I want to challenge you weekly to study those in your quiet time, uh, study the major points or a couple of these, and I'd like you to pray about passing these truths on to someone else this week. Maybe it's a, a mother with her children. What a great way for your children to learn your Bible. You know, you boil it down and then just say, I want to teach you something that pastor taught us Sunday. Maybe, maybe men is somebody in the shop or someone in the office or at work or at school or somebody in the neighborhood. Hey, uh, I, and you have an assignment, so that's a good way to do it. Say, hey, I have, my pastor has given me an assignment, and uh, we want to pass God's Word on. And I'd like to, uh, can I share with you a couple of things that, uh, and teach people the Scriptures. We want to, want to make that emphasis um, uh, and so going forward, teach them. that You can simply say, you know, that God delights in shameless uh, boldness in prayer. Really? People never heard anything like that. I dare say most people in your block, if you live in a block, uh, never heard anything like this. You know, and they have wrong ideas of prayer, and some of them don't even believe in God. Don't, don't worry about that. The Bible says all people know of God, and if they reject God, they simply hold the knowledge down because they love their sin. Yeah, don't, don't hear, you know, people say, oh, I'm an atheist. Oh, that's okay. Let me, show, let me show you what God says. Just don't be, oh, you're an atheist. Don't. No, just keep going. They're lying to themselves. They're lying. They are. Remember when you were lost, right? You go like, oh, I'm an atheist. I don't hear. They know in their heart God has given a conscience and pass it on. Don't keep it to yourself. Number two, perhaps you've tried everything else, and don't we do that? We, we come into a corner we come to a dead end, and we like we tried all these options ourselves, right? And we go like, oh, I forgot to pray. How many pastors, how many Sunday school teachers, youth workers are going to teach on prayer? And they like, oh. they rush into the classroom or the. I, I, I didn't pray that much. I didn't pray. I didn't pray about teaching about prayer. All right, so I just say, not as a last resort, but maybe you've tried everything else. Try praying, and that ought to be our first thing as we. We say to our Father, and this is the way I approach that, Lord, uh, Father in heaven, uh, there's some things I need to talk to you about. I just, I just need to talk to you about some things. And uh, have a conversation with the Lord. Pray about that. Maybe you tried everything else. Talk to your Heavenly Father about that. In this important thing called prayer life. Have you done that? Would you do that? And be persistent. Be persistent. You ever see a little a mother with her baby at the mall? I know there's a comedian that made much of that years ago. It cracks me up, where the, uh, the little kid would, had the uh, wire on. You ever see those wires they tie the kids up with? And it's got, it's got like a rubber band. And the kid will run out like 20 feet, and he snaps back. He comes flying back to his mother. <laughs> and then the kid's there standing there, and he wants something, right? I don't know if he's got a load in his shorts or if he's hungry or something. And he's going, mommy, 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 mommy. And, and the comedian, he goes like, 
lady, please answer that kid. I'm going to lose my mind if he says, mommy, mommy, mommy. And the mommy is oblivious. She's just tuned right out, doesn't hear that frequency. Well, in a strange way, and I'm not making light of it, but keep asking. Keep asking. Keep asking. God is not like that, man. I've got to get this guy out of here because he keeps, he's driving me crazy. God is loving and kind and gracious and ready and willing and welcomes us because of our position as sons and daughters in Christ. So pray with persistence. Number three, prayer is not getting from God what we want, but asking Him to give us what He's already, uh, already uh, promised. The last word should be promised. He's promised to meet our every need, and uh, He invites us to come. And things beyond need, share with Him. God gives us the desires of our heart. Share with them. The Lord is so kind and generous. He delights in that. Now, He won't give you stuff beyond if it knows it's going to rob your heart from Him. You know, we're like that. I finally got whatever it was, and now I love it more than I love God. <laughs> it's the same thing on our parent-child level, right? Our parents aren't going to give stuff to our kids, even though they think they've got to have it in the worst way or they're going to die. If, in fact, it's not good for the child. A, a, a father or mother will not do that, right? We won't do it. It's the same thing. He's, it's asking him, Lord, you provided this. And if, I, did that, I did that incidentally years ago. Uh, many, many times, and one comes to mind readily. Uh, it was in 1974 with that Arab oil crisis. And they laid off many, many people. Some of you don't, weren't even born then and all that. And here I was in... Uh, pre-seminary program and really felt, uh, you know, uh, not at that point a call to pastoring, but God had me at a Christian school, and, and I couldn't get hired in the steel mills and paper mills where I'd work in days gone by in the Buffalo area because of layoffs. And so I, I came, I was really discouraged on that, and I said, what am I going to do? I've got I've to raise, I've got I've to raise this money during the summer working so that I can pay this school. And the Lord taught me so much during that time. And I began to spend time on my knees in my bedroom crying out to God and simply saying, Lord, you know, you have promised to meet my need here. So really, this is not even my bill. It's your bill. I'm not taking responsibility for it. I'll do whatever. I'll work uh, 80, 90 hours a week. And I had, had done that in days and years gone by. Whatever it is, Lord, I can't. This is beyond me. You know, the currents go overhead. You find out you can't change the direction of the currents. Well, it's like spitting in the ocean, right? I can't do anything. Lord, what are we going to do? And it went on for about two weeks. The days are passing. Now we're working through. I got out early May. It's near the end of May. And the Lord opened my pea brain up, gave me a thought. And uh, I developed that thought and ran, ran with that thought. And in the weeks until I went to, to, uh, back to school for my junior year of college, God, to his glory, taught me, you just wait on me. And I made twice as much that summer as I made in any of the other summers, working 80 hours a week, steel mills, roofing, painting, all that. And God said, see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust me. And you see, the Lord was building a man here. Now I look back, I, didn't, I was clueless. I wasn't even sure what direction I was going in. But the Lord was building a man because he knew there are going to be people, his sheep, that are going to need to know the Word of God. 
and they're going to need to grow up in their own life and grow up to trust Him. So I've got to grow this boy into a man. It's like somebody said, Pastor, that was a pretty good sermon. How long did it take you to write that? And the answer rightfully is, how long does it take to build a godly man? To be able to transfer the truth that God has built into his life through all those years. And so, so readily I go back to a thousand of these type of things. God is in the midst of taking care of his people, growing up for his namesake, for his glory. And so I was only asking, and that may encourage some of you with where you are in your, Lord, this is, this is not mine. It's yours. I'm your, I'm your son. Matthew 6. I'm seeking first of the kingdom of God, your righteousness. All these things, Lord. And one thing after another, after another, after another. Not always. Some through tears. Some God said no. Some I'm still waiting on. And that's life. Number, number four, I've got to let you get out of here. Are you boldly persevering in prayer? Are you? Start up again. If you start, we tend to stop. We tire out. We get discouraged. Start up again. A lot of life is that. How many diets have you been on, right? Most of us have been. I, I love the guy who said, I've lost 300 pounds in my life. Holy cow, how big were you? He says, no, no, it's the yo-yo, you know? I start up again. I start up again. Good. That's what it is. I mean, it's a part of us. Start up again today. Don't let the day pass. Number five and last. I guess next week's the picnic. <laughs> I'm getting shut down here. All right. That's okay. Thanks, Dave. Uh, if you don't know Christ, I just, it's just invite you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please don't leave here without seeing me. Please don't. I'd love to pray with you. You can settle it today and be saved. And most of you do, and you've had that prayer, that sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. And if you mean that with all your heart, God will save you. And you'll have the right to enter, not my study, because you're my son, but you'll have the right to enter into the throne room with your heavenly Father because of Christ. Shamelessly. Isn't that great? The way to the cross is humble. Shamelessly, boldly, persistently, imprudently, the ESV. That's how we ought to pray. Let's stand and be disciplined. Thank you for your patience. Let me go beyond. Father, thank you so much for this day and for this hour and for this message. And I thank you for the text, Lord, and make us a praying people and a praying church. And